cross. It's time to ponder with fresh eyes and ears and fresh understanding in our hearts of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the one that he endured on the cross. As Hebrews says, despising the shame for the joy set before him of bringing salvation to you and to me and to all people of every time and language and place and nation and tribe who believe in him. It's time for us to consider again what exactly our salvation required of the Son of God that we might become members of God's own family and to have our sins forgiven. And so with the goal of stirring our hearts with fresh mixture of mourning over our sin that made the death of Christ necessary, as well as amazed gratitude that the Son of God did not consider the price to be paid for our redemption to be too high. I want to bring us into God's Word together. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like you to flip over with me to the book of 1 Peter and chapter 2. And if you'd stand, if you're able, as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. God, our Father, your word invites us to ponder and reflect. And to stand amazed again that you did not consider the price paid for us to be too high to bring us into your family and make us full heirs alongside your son, Jesus Christ, of the good things that are to come. What an amazing thing that you sent your son to be born of a virgin, to live as a man teach your word, to perform miracles, to give everyone who ever looked into your son's life ample evidence that he is the son of God come in the flesh, and then to have him killed according to your plan, that he might rise again in order that we would have incontrovertible proof redemption has come to all who believe. Father, your plan is amazing. We glorify you for it this afternoon. Help us, Father, to, to wonder and to worship again at the old, old story of the Savior who came in glory for us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I know this is not one of the usual passages that you turn to on Good Friday. It's not one of the more 
specific and detailed accounts of crucifixion from one of the gospel writers. Uh, it's also not a specifically prophetic prediction of the cross from the Old Testament like Psalm 22, but what it is is the New Testament passage which most explicitly links Jesus' suffering and death to the ministry of God's suffering servant, the Messiah, from Isaiah chapter 53. And that connection reveals some important truths to us that I think are worthy of our reflection and then our obedience. If you look at verses 22 and 23, what you'll see is Peter's description of Christ's way of suffering. At first, he died innocent of sin, having never deceived anyone or ever told even a little white lie. He died silently, without a word of protest to his captors and torturers, in fact, without a word of protest to anyone but his heavenly Father, and he did not give an answer in defense to any of the multitude of false charges brought up against him at his trials. He died, the scripture says here, trusting in God the Father, to him who judges justly, knowing that though his suffering was unjust in every way, that the Father is the just judge, and knowing that his suffering was not without purpose, that it was not happening for no reason, and that the Father would rectify for all eternity the injustices of the present moment. And in all of these things, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant. Listen to this description from Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 10. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Think about that with me for a moment or two. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus was flogged and spit upon, that he was beaten, that he had his beard pulled out by the roots, that he was mocked as an imposter king and a faux messiah, dressed in a purple robe and given a bamboo stick for a scepter and a crown of thorns to wear as his symbol of royalty. At the end, he was crucified in ignominy and shame under the mocking sign, King of the Jews, nailed to the cross over his head, dying in unspeakable naked agony like a slave or a traitor, while one of the condemned men next to him mocked him and his claims to be the Messiah as those passing by hurled their insults as the religious leaders watched gleefully as the blood drained out of his body and as the soldiers who nailed him there gambled for the few possessions that he owned at the foot of his cross. He was then finally speared through the side. What kind of man deserves that kind of treatment? 
I would submit to you that this kind of death could be deserved only by the very worst, most evil men there have ever been. And yet Jesus, how does the text say it? He committed no sin. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. He died innocent, not guilty of any crime, but innocent of any sin entirely, without self-defense, without self-justification, but trusting in God alone to justify. This is Christ's way of suffering. Innocent, silent, trusting God to bring justice to the world's all-time greatest injustice. This is amazing to me. Both in the fact of it and the way in which Jesus fulfilled prophecy, even in the way that he died, even in the agony of his final moments, Jesus is fulfilling the word of God. And Jesus' way of suffering by its nature invites us to consider what possible purpose could be served by this kind of death for the Son of God, this horrible and shameful execution of God's own Son. What could be going on in that? And verses 25 and uh, verse 24 also give us this beautiful answer revealing God's eternal purpose to us. Look at them with me again. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why did Jesus die? What were the reasons? He died, first of all, bearing our sins in His body. In other words, He died in our place for what we have done in rebellion against God. Men and women, we are born with the sin nature. Amen? We are the children of Adam who sinned in rebellion against God though He was given perfect environment perfect mate, a perfect situation. He chose her and rebellion over obedience and God. And ever since, we who descend from Adam and Eve inherit a sinful nature from them, which we then use to act just like them and to rebel against God at our first and subsequent opportunity. So we owe to God a sin debt that we could not possibly ever pay. Our holiest moments are tainted by sin. If God were to give us the justice that we deserve for our sins against Him, we would all right now be spending eternity in hell shut out from the presence of God and the majesty of His power. In our sins, we are far closer to being like Satan than to being like God. And yet, the Scripture says, 
Jesus himself. I love the repetition there of that pronoun. He himself. God came down and himself bore our sins in his body. God did not just send a substitute. He is the substitute. He is the sacrificial lamb to take our place. God himself took on flesh and took for us the penalty that our sins deserved. He died the death that we deserved. He died that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you see that? He not only died so that He could take away the penalty of our sins, He died that He might take away the power of sin over us and the presence of sin within us. He didn't just die to save us from sin and death and hell that we might still live under the terrible weight of sin, but so that we could be released from the burdensome weight of of sin and its hold over our lives and live as free men and free women in righteousness like His own, that we might be in close relationship with Him. That's what it means when it says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might live as free men and women, that we might walk in the glory of release from the burden that sin has on our shoulders. And then it further goes on to say that He died to heal us. As people who are born with a sin nature in a fallen world, we exist as a shadow of what we were meant to be. I don't even have the hairline I started out this life with. Amen? I got hair in some other places but not as much on my head as there used to be, right? It grows in my ears now. Did you know that was a thing? This is strange, right? This is proof that the world has fallen and that my nature is broken. Okay? Everything about us is a shadow of what we were meant to be. Jesus died to heal us. We suffer the weight of the effects of sin, not only in our souls, but in our bodies until the day we die. And by the way, death itself is foreign to God's original creation, and it's part of sin's terrible consequences for us. But by Jesus' wounds, by Jesus' afflictions, by His suffering, these things are all meant for our healing, and they actually bring it about actually accomplish it. We are healed whether we see it yet or not. We are healed right now. And ultimately for all eternity compared with which the years of our life, however long they are, are like a warm breath outside on a cold morning. And gone is your life and mine but our life in eternity, which we will spend as believers in Jesus forever healed and restored to the way we were meant to be. We'll spend eternity there with the Lord because by His wounds we have been healed. Jesus also died, the Scripture here tells us, 
to restore us to relationship with the Father. Though we had wandered off like sheep, getting away from the shepherd. By the way, let me just talk about that for a second. Do you know what the least lethal animal in the barnyard is? A sheep. Okay? A chicken would kill and eat you if it could. They're a nasty critter, right? People get, get stepped on or rolled over by cows and killed all the time. If you fall down in the hog pen, woe unto you, right? A sheep is defenseless. And you know what likes mutton? Everything with teeth. And so a sheep wandered away from the shepherd is uh, another way of saying a victim to everything. A dog, an eagle, a coyote, a bobcat, maybe even a fox if he's feeling frisky, will take down a sheep. A sheep that's wandered away from the shepherd is as good as dead. But Jesus, the good shepherd, experienced in his soul the alienation from the Father that rightfully belongs only to us. And in so doing, he has gone after us. And he has brought us back to the Father who watches over us attentively and with loving care. And all of these things, too, are fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Let me read you some more selections from that great prophet's words. Uh, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. This is what the Word of God says there. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Sound familiar? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the death of Jesus the Messiah, who was innocent of sin, who was silent in the face of unjust accusation, horrifying abuse, and even death who died trusting fully in His Father, God the righteous judge, so that we could have our sin paid, so that we could have our healing brought, so that we could have the restoration to God accomplished that we needed, and to have it all done in perfect fulfillment of the prophetic word given by God Himself through the mouth of His prophet some 800 years before the event, so that when it happened, we would know this is He. So then, as we can continue to think about the death that Jesus died, how do we respond? Well, number one, we respond with faith. There is no better day than today. No more auspicious occasion coming in your life than right now. As you're sitting here, hearing the Word of God proclaimed to you, that if you have never known Jesus Christ as Savior, 
Today is the day to finally put your faith in the one who came so far and bore so much to accomplish such great salvation for you. I invite you, plead with you, to put your trust in the one who died in your place for your sin, who offers you eternal life and won it at the cross for you at great cost. Amen? Or if you're wondering how to respond to this message, respond, first of all, with faith, believing in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. Number two, with worship. The more I ponder the terrible beauty and the awesome but tragic triumph of the cross of Christ, the more I am amazed, the more I am overcome with wonder and finding myself like a child standing on tiptoe on Christmas morning, longing to look more deeply into all these things that are beyond my ability to take in all at once. That is the heart of Christ-exalting, God-honoring, Spirit-filled worship. It's amazed awe that God would do this to bring you into His family. I've said this before, but, but here's the reality of this. Beyond this, God can't go. Like he's already done everything possible to make sure that no one would have to die separated from him. If you're waiting for a demonstration of God's love for you, this is it. This is the best one you're ever going to get. This is the most magnificent awe-inspiring, worship-encouraging demonstration of the love of God that there could possibly be. That God came in the flesh because He loved you. And He said, I will do whatever it takes to make sure she or he is in my family. When Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you know what the joy set before him was? It was you, me, being members of God's family with him. And so as we consider that, I invite you to worship God. And for your soul to sing, even if no words come out of your mouth, for you to sing in your heart a song of praise to God that He loved you like that. And by the way, loves you for eternity like that. You will never run out of reasons to praise God. Because God loved us from eternity past, planned from before there was a world to send His Son to save you and I from sin and death and hell. 
and make us his kids instead. We worship. And one final thing. With witness, this news that we have as believers in Christ is too good to keep to ourselves. I mean, if I see a movie I really like, I want to tell people about it, right? If I eat at a great restaurant, I go down to Childers Eatery, and I get chicken and waffles there, I want to tell people about it, right? Can I just go on record and say that the love of God demonstrated for you and me in the cross of Jesus Christ is so much better than any other experience that you and I might have. That receiving eternal life through faith in Jesus and becoming a member of His family is worthy of a mention to other people. That this is the kind of good news you can't hold in when it really lays hold of your heart. If we actually believe it is true that Jesus Christ is our Savior, then we can't hold the words in. We are like, remember the Gerizim demoniac, this guy? And all these demons in him. And uh, when Jesus asked him, what's your name? The guy answers, well, it's actually the demon speaks out of the guy's mouth and says, legion, because we're many. There's a lot of us in here. And Jesus casts out the demons of this guy who's not even been able to be bound with a chain because of all of the strength of the demons operating in his body. And he is set free at a word from the Lord. And the scripture says that he went out, he went through all the Decapolis, which is fancy Greek way of saying all the ten towns where he lived. <laughs> Okay, he went through the whole countryside around there bragging to everyone. Hey, remember the guy who used to live among the tombs and yell at people and scare everybody? Yeah, that was me. I got set free by Jesus. Would you like to meet him? Because you've got to meet this guy who did for me what no one else could do. Now, I've not had a legion of demons released from me. Praise God. But I have been set free from sin and death and hell. And it fills me with joy knowing that. And therefore, like the Gerizim demoniac, set free, it's my calling to do with my life what Jesus appointed him to do with his, to go and tell everyone how much God has done for you. Amen? Amen. Well, don't just be grateful for your own deliverance and your own salvation. Proclaim the message of the old rugged cross to everyone who will hold still long enough to listen. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, This is so good. This amazing gift that you've given us.
of Jesus Christ sent from glory. The Son of God became incarnate as a man in the womb of a Jewish peasant girl that he might live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died and be raised to new life that we might not miss who he is. And Father, he did all of this according to your plan, your perfect plan to bring salvation to everyone who believes in him. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We offer you our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.